So, God told you to write a book. Now what? Hi, I'm Wendy Jo Serna, author, narrator, wife, and mother. I've written and published two novels thus far without really having any clue what I was doing. All I knew for sure was that I had heard from the Lord that I was to write a book. Beyond that, it was all just one grand adventure of faith and a lot of work. And along the way, I learned a few things, things I'd like to share with you. Currently, I've begun to write my third book, and this time I thought, why not take some other people along on the grand adventure with me? So join me as I write, and we'll chat about the process as it unfolds. The practical, the emotional, the mental, the physical, and the spiritual. If I can do this, you can do this. You can write your book. Hey, if the author and finisher of all things told you to do it, he believes that you can. And so do I. So come on, let's write. Hello, authors, and welcome back to the second episode of So God Told You to Write a Book. Now what? I'm Wendy Jo Serna, your hostess, and today I'd like to talk about the beginnings. A very good place to start, as Maria von Trapp would sing. Actually, we're going to start maybe a little even before the beginnings. We're going to talk a little bit about the spiritual aspect, the emotional aspect, and we're going to get to some practical things too. So, I wanted to start today with, it's actually a paragraph that's the first, it's the prologue of my second book, The Agreements. The premise is, what if we have seen the scroll of our lives prior to arriving on the planet, and we've read it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the wonderful, and all the in-between, and we've agreed to it. And then we come to the planet, and we, our job our role is to remember who we are, what we have agreed to. And this is how it begins, the prologue that the Lord gave me. There was a time, before time, when time hung suspended in plans and hopes and dreams, where beginnings were not yet begun and endings not yet ended, where scrolls were composed and blueprints drawn up, where lives were imagined, gifts wrapped, genealogies conceived, and nations invented. It was a time that to even describe in terms of time is impossible. But for now, for the purposes of stuffing the infinite into the finite, the impossible must be. For it is in this irreconcilable moment of non-time that agreements are being made, and were made, and will be fulfilled. Agreements unfathomably complex and fearfully deep, that were entered into willingly with no guarantee save one that love will prevail. So the part about that that I want to talk about today is that moment before you start writing. Those maybe days or decades like me before I wrote my first book. The time before time where things are imagined and things are dreamed of and things are invented before anything's become a tangible reality there's these moments before beforehand. It's even like in Genesis where it says, um, you know, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, over the darkness, 
that word in Hebrew uh, actually means to like like flutter, or relax over, to hover over, over the darkness. Before he said, "Let there be light." Before then, there was this time before time where he was dreaming of us, where he was planning us, where he was inventing and hoping and imagining. I mean, we are made in his image. He is an imaginer with an amazing imagination. You know, one day we were at the aquarium down in Monterey, California, and they have an amazing, beautiful aquarium. If you ever get a chance to go, you should go because it's great to just blow your mind. <laughs> the things that God has in the ocean you know, that we don't see on a daily basis, but that are under the water. We went past the uh, jellyfish exhibit. They have quite an extensive one there. That will yeah, make you wonder, what were you thinking, God? Amazing, huge, you know jellyfish that float and flutter and floral, and then these tiny little ones, I don't know, an inch or so long, that have inside of them neon-like lights that bubble up and go, well, like the original neon signage, little jellyfish. Amazing. Or I like to look at pictures that are sent back from the Hubble telescope. That's galaxies and stars, groups, and things that we haven't seen with our naked eye before that are now available to us. I can't wait to hear or see, actually, from the new James Webb Space Telescope that has just gone up that is a thousand times further out in space than than the Hubble. And, And they're looking for the beginnings of the universe. They're looking. I have this sense that no matter how far out we go, there'll be more to see. And I don't know if it's already there or if God just waits for us to invent the technology to see further and then he sprinkles out a few more billions of galaxies. I don't know. But I always know there's more. But there's these places that are beautiful, wonderful, marvelous, imaginative spaces inside of us as well before we get to produce the art or write the script or film the movie or build the house, or whatever it is, it lives inside of us first. So I had a lot of years of pre-book, pre-writing, in which there were a lot of things sort of fluttering around. Occasionally I would write a poem. My mother is a poet, and she's written a lot of poetry, published some books, but it has beautiful work. And she describes it as percolating, that a poem would percolate inside of her, before it would ever come out onto paper in rough drafts or get reworked or any of that process, there was a percolation inside of her. So as a believer, when you are co-creating with the creator, how does that work? I think it comes down to this one word that we call intimacy. To be one with your creator, to get to know who he is You know, he says that one day we will know him just as we are fully known. How do we fully know the God who is limitless and endless? There's a proposition for you. But he is knowable. But just like getting to know a person, it takes time and interaction 
in intentionality, hanging out, doing things together. Building a relationship with God is much the same way. It doesn't maybe look exactly the same way. For me, like I said in the last episode, I have a habit in the morning of just meeting with God, opening up some space in my life. What does that look like? Being still, sometimes getting my mind into a place of focusing only on Him. And, and, and sometimes that takes a long process of setting before Him the things that are on my mind, which He's okay with that too, because this is a conversation, this is a relational interaction. So I give Him all those things and the people in my life that I am concerned with or the places, the things going on in the world and and I, I interact with him on those things and ask about things. And, and then I get to a place where I am still. And I listen. I ask, well, you know, what's on your mind this morning? Or is there anything you'd like to talk about? Anything you'd like to show me? Anything maybe in my heart that needs some attention? Maybe some cleanup work over something maybe I didn't do so well the day before or that morning or all those kinds of things. And I sit and I listen. Sometimes I put on worship music or sometimes instrumental, anything that brings in a frequency that's conducive to peace, stillness, being still, and knowing that He is God. That's where my well gets filled up for the day ahead. Sometimes people have said, wow, you're so disciplined about meeting with God. And really, I don't know, I'm not the world's most disciplined person. I tell them, well, do you think you're disciplined when you eat three meals a day? Well, no. Well, why do you do it? Every day. Like, you're really good at it. I'm really good at eating every day. Very disciplined (laughs) about eating every day. Why? Because I need it. I need it to live and I enjoy it. That's how it is with my time with the Lord. I need that time. I am a better person if I get that time in the morning. I'm a better wife. I'm a better mom. I'm a better friend. And I think I'm a better writer or creative when I interact with the Creator. I have journals. I've had journals for decades. They are messy. They're not beautiful. They are scribbled in. They are drawn in sometimes. There's a lot of venting that goes on. I don't think anybody else really needs to read my journals because they're pretty personal and a safe space for me to sometimes say things that I would never say to the people involved. But the Lord can handle those things. He's not overwhelmed by the complexities of my life. So journaling is a space where I vent, but I also listen. And after I've listened, after I've spent that quiet stillness time, then I I make sure I have a pen and I have a journal open so I can write it down. I think it's one of the good ways of actually continuing a practice of writing without any boundaries or any do's or don'ts. Like I said, my journals are very messy. They're not grammatically correct. They're 
the spelling is not great. You know, oh, this is funny. I was cleaning out my parents' house, which is an ongoing saga, but uh, I came to this drawer that had all kinds of stuff in there from my early elementary days, like every report card I ever had, my and my brothers, my parents saved everything. So fun to look at, but clearly not necessary to have, so it's all gone now. But I was reading some of the papers are things that I wrote in elementary school, and I honestly, I was an atrocious speller, very phonetic in my spelling, but really bad. <laughs> My mother, on the other hand, I found she like won all these awards for spelling bees while she was in school. Not not my core strength. Thank God for spell check. So, yeah, so I don't worry about spelling or anything like that. I just write. And it's a great record for me to go back to and say, now what what was that he talked about? What was that verse? What was that idea? What was that picture? And I when I finish a journal, I go back and reread it and sort of review the last months that I've been through or the last year or however long it takes me to fill one up. And it's a great way to remind myself of the growth and where we've been and what we've been talking about. In uh, Luke, there's a verse that says, a good man produces good out of the good storeroom of his heart. An evil man produces evil out of the evil storeroom. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. For me, intentionally sitting with God, sitting with Holy Spirit, allowing him to interact with me, that fills up my heart. So then when I am writing, what comes out of my heart is this overflow. It says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think from the overflow of the heart, your art speaks. Paintings speak of what's in your heart. Photography speaks about what's in your heart. Any kind of artwork, knitting, crocheting, dance, music, it flows out of what fills your heart. So this time before time, where beginnings are not yet begun and endings not yet ended, what are you filling your heart with? I know for a lot of you, writing a book is probably about your own story. Maybe the testimony of your life, the difficulties, the things God has brought you through, or it's more a, a practical teaching kind of book. Uh, that's fine. I, I write fiction, and so I've got, to, I've got to create a lot of space and a lot of world has to be, of course it comes out of who I am also, but a lot of it I just is, has to be created entirely. So when you're writing nonfiction, still you have to Allow God to percolate those those facts of your life and bring up what does he want to what does he want to get out into the world through your story, through your testimony, and how does he want to do that? And what do you include and what do you leave out? And and all of that, just submit it to him and allow him to sort of rearrange and and emphasize or de-emphasize. It all is in that percolation pre-beginning intimate time with God. Now, here's the other thing. I don't go into that time with the intention of getting something to write. I go in with the intention of meeting with God. And whatever we bring up for that day, great. Sometimes it has to do with what I'm working on. More often than not, it does not. 
And yet still, it fills up my heart. It fills up this well. It fills up my spirit so that when I get to the point of writing, the overflow, it comes from that space. The intimacy, the oneness. So that's the beginnings, the spiritual aspect, maybe emotional aspect, the preparation aspect. I was thinking also as I've been writing again, some of the things I didn't know practically. Like I told you, the first book, I sat down with a legal pad and a pen. I don't know why. I think I was a little intimidated by the computer or honestly just more distracted by solitaire or words with friends or something, you know, clearly a bit of an issue. But so I just sat somewhere where I was undistracted and I could just write. Worked great for the first draft of the first book. But when it came to having to rewrite and edit, uh, yeah, it needed to get onto the computer. It needed to be transcribed. So I just write on um, a Word doc. I set up my margins, uh, just a simple one-inch margins all the way around. I do um, single-line spacing with a half-inch indent on the first line. I set up all that stuff so when just one time through. So then when I'm writing, I don't have to think about it. And it's and I put it in a font. I put it in a 12-point font, which is easy for me to read and pretty much the standard of when you're submitting a manuscript, a 12-point font. And then on what I like about working on the Word doc, too, is, you know, at the top where it has this little prompt, how can I help you? I type in the word navigation. And if you hit on the navigation button to the left-hand side of your document, you will be you will have a space that will will look like a table of content. What you need to then intentionally do is put your chapter headings in. Now I could go through a whole how-to of that. I just honestly, I just went to YouTube. The University of YouTube is where I found out a lot of this information. Go on there and look about how do I set up chapter headings on a Word doc. And then have your navigation on the left-hand side set up so that when you come back to write, you can see what you've done. And when you want to go check on something, you just click on that, whatever, chapter 3 or chapter 15 or whatever, and you immediately can go there. And if you need to rearrange things, you just drag and drop, and your whole chapter is moved for you. It's miraculous. So much easier than scratching out paragraphs on a yellow legal pad. Those are the things that I set up in the beginning. I don't worry about headers and footers and page numbers and all that at the very beginning. I just get a simple standard format going for my manuscript. Another thing that I pay attention to is word count. That you will see on the bottom left-hand corner of your Word doc. Every word you type in gets counted for you. For a fiction book, the standard for the industry of like a first-time novel is anywhere from 85 to 100,000, 85,000 to 100,000 words is not anything less than that and not much more than that for a first-time novel. Now, you'll see some of the big novelists, they do way more than that, but they don't do less than that because Otherwise, you wind up with a novelette or something like that. So 
and a first draft, you are going to go back and rewrite her and, and do all that. So some of that is all subject to change, but it gives you an idea of where you're at in your process. Right now, I have about 50,000 words on this third book that I'm working on, and I've got a bunch of chapters on the side. And so I get to see my progress. Now, if you're doing nonfiction, the, I believe it's a much low, a lesser word count. I think it's between 70, right around 75,000 is about what they're looking for in a nonfiction. Anything less than 40,000 is not, really not even considered a book, a pamphlet, uh, um, a workbook or, or something like that. Yes, there's all different different things. But to but when people are picking up a nonfiction book, they're looking for something. The feel of it even is it's right around, you know, 70 to 85,000 words, word count is what you're, is the, is just the standard length that people are looking for. So those are just some very practical beginning things I didn't know when I was starting out on this journey that have been helpful for me the second time around and the third time around to give myself some measurement in the beginnings of things. So there you go. That's our second episode of So God Told You to Write a Book. Now what? I hope you enjoyed it. I sure appreciate you. Blessings and peace. Shalom. Shalom.